Hello and welcome to the very 137th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games, board games, oh the lovely board games. And with me today on this odyssey of podacy is Quentin Smith. Thank you very much, Tom Brewster. I thought for one chilling moment that you were going to like make this into a musical episode and burst into song there, and I'm very relieved it didn't happen. <laughs> the hills no, no, are no, alive no, 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 with no. the sound no, of no, board no, games. No. Did you not enjoy that? Uh, not one moment of it. I, as I understand <laughs> it, you've been doing some DIY this morning, Tom. I've been. I've actually done no DIY this morning. I got really distracted. That's a good going to. It, it's a great segue when I've actually not been doing the thing. But I've got the sandpaper ready. I've got the paint rollers ready to, to redecorate hang curtains. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, but no redecorating has happened yet, no. So your segue is void, unfortunately. Okay, but what the people should know is that if they haven't noticed, all of your reviews for the last like six to nine months have been filmed on like a dressing table <laughs> in a corner of a very small single bedroom, which is a Herculean effort. The camera is inches from my socks and underwear at any given time. Wow. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to hopefully... If, if all the redecoration goes nicely, have a table I can film on that can actually show the entire game at once, uh, rather than just little snippets of it filmed with a macro lens. It's going to be great. Wow, I'm I'm excited. This is a this is a new era of Brewster reviews we've got coming up. I know. Get hyped. Uh, they're going to be they're going to be just fine. <laughs> they're going to be better than fine. I won't hear it. You are great. I love you. You're my favourite. Tom, what are we talking about on this podcast today? <laughs> On this podcast today, the 137th podcast pod, we're going to be talking about Nadavalir, a game about dwarves and bidding and big chunky coins. And we're going to be talking about Cascadia, a game about hexagons and animals and getting all your territory to line up in the right way. And we're also briefly going to talk about a couple of games that have been reviewed on the website, on the YouTube recently. Doesn't that sound fun? I'm excited. That sounds like a fun little lineup of, of, of games that we're going to talk about. You know what I'm really excited about, though, before we get stuck into the, the waist-deep, uh, murky, muddy soil of these games? That, that, didn't even, that was a weird analogy, but we're going to stick with it. <laughs> Tom, I've got an announcement that's doubtless going to please you and all of our listeners. <gasps> and, and tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Maybe you can give this some kind of like a uh, exciting kind of infomercial music. The Shut Up and Sit Down podcast has reached number one in the charts, the leisure podcast charts in Mexico, Finland, Norway, Singapore, Israel, Greece, Costa Rica, and Croatia. So I've got my next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got my next eight holidays planned. Uh, <laughs> that's what I I wanna I wanna reward these countries. If you are Mexican, Finnish, Norwegian, Singaporean, Israeli, Greek, Costa Rican, or Croatian, thanks, thanks for, for having shut up and sit down as your predominant <laughs> leisure activity. Presumably that doesn't mean their their hobby is like listening to the podcast. Presumably that means that their hobby is board games and the hobby we is board faci games. facilitate that. Yes, we're merely a side attraction to the board games being the meat of the matter. I mean, I've heard that literally everyone in Croatia knows the name Quentin Smith. So congratulations. <laughs> It'll be like, uh, like a 90s movie. I'll go there and there'll be a brass statue of me outside the airport. <laughs> um, next, and they'll all love Blood on the Clock Tower and they'll lift me up and go, Quince, you were right about that review. <laughs> exactly as it should be. Yeah. 
I, I, I don't really know what else to say about these countries aside from I, I love all of them. I love all of them even more than I love uh, you, Tom. That's that's that's. Can you tell I didn't sleep well? Is that coming across <laughs> yeah. in my recording? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you're okay. fine. I love you too, Quinn. <gasps> Let's start the podcast. First up on this podcast, we're going to be talking about the board game. Well, it's a card game, really, kind of, but it's kind of a board game of <laughs> Nidavellir. And I know you've got a question, and that question is, how do you spell Nidavellir? How do you spell Nadavalir? I can't tell you, Tom. I misspell it literally every time I have to write it. <laughs> Probably read the podcast description where you will have dutifully transcribed what it is. What is Nadavalir? Well, I'm going to get get everyone excited again immediately it's a game about dwarves it's a it's a game of black and white moodily illustrated dwarves who are under threat because a great evil has awoken and all of the players have to recruit a dwarven army by going to the same three pubs over and over and over and over and over (laughs) over again um recruiting dwarves to a sort of you end up like ranking them in sort of like rows and columns like you're stacking them together in a little sort of like roman legionary block and at the end of the game, once you've recruited all of these different colours of, uh, of dwarves, um, you will see who has the best dwarven army, and that player will be the winner. Um, now, obviously, Tom, uh, you are, are going to naturally share a, a question with our audience members, and that is, can I find out more about these dwarves in Nadavalier? To which I'm happy to say, yes. <laughs> Nadavalier is the first board game I've played with a biography of every bloody dwarf in the game in the back of the manual wait wait wait, wait. has each dwarf got their own backstory i didn't know that the hero dwarves yes you can read about all of the hero dwarves as opposed to the sort of rank and file dwarves um there's a lot of dwarves in this game there's a lot of um high quality game design in this game as well uh do you like that saying do you like it tom that was very good it was good it's convenient that the dwarves are matched by game design because then Uh, that allowed you to do an excellent segue yeah, I was. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to my boots. Uh, I, I won't beat you on the bush anymore. The, the, the Davalier is really quite a quite a good to great little card game. Um, so what you've got here are three pubs that are laid out between all the players: um, the Laughing Goblin, the Shiny Pony, the the third one, Big Dragon, Big Dragon. And on each round of the game, and the round the game has eight rounds, um, you're going to put a number of dwarves equal to the numbers of players in each of the pubs, okay? And then all of the players are going to look at those pubs and the dwarves that are on offer that round. So, like, I don't know, one of the pubs might have, like, a mining dwarf who's very good, a warrior dwarf who's actually pretty rubbish as warrior dwarfs go, and uh, uh, the, uh, one of the other kinds of dwarf that's, like, explorers and blacksmiths and, and another type. But what these dwarves do is they all, at the end of the game, will score slightly differently. So... The green dwarfs, who I believe are sort of like hunters, um, are, ooh, let me get this right. Each dwarf is worth one more than the dwarf before it. So your first one is worth one, the next is worth two, the next is worth three. Um, There's the blacksmiths that are squared. So if you have three, then it's three three squared, which is nine. If you have four of them, that's four squared, which is 16. Warriors are interesting because warriors all, every warrior card has their own value, whether that's 10 or five or 15. Um, but the, at the end of the game, whichever player has the most warriors will also add the value of their highest value coin to their warriors. And these coins are, are really, really cool. So once you've got the dwarves in all of their pubs, um, and all the players are looking at the pubs and thinking what dwarf they might want to recruit from each pub, you're going to look at your hand of coins. Yes, this is kind of confusing because it's basically a hand of cards, but they're not cards. They, they are coins. 
and you're going to assign one of those coins to each pub. So at the start of the game, you start with a five coin, a four, a three, a two, and a zero. And so if there's a, a particular dwarf you really want in a particular pub, you might assign your five secretly to that pub. You might assign the two to the pub you don't care about. Um, and once all players have secretly assigned three coins to each of the three pubs, you go through the pubs in order, you reveal, you go, what did everyone bid at the, the laughing, uh, at the maudlin goblin or whatever? And then I'm going to say, I bid five. And someone else will say, oh, I bid four. And then uh, the person who bid the most will take a dwarf from there. Um, and so on um, with the person who bid the least getting whatever dwarf they're left with however the mechanic I really 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 like in the Davalier is whenever you bid your zero at a pub what you then do is you reveal the two coins that you did not use that round because you always have five coins and there's three pubs so there'll always be two coins you didn't use when you reveal your zero you also reveal the two coins you didn't use. You add those two coins together. So if you didn't use your two and your three, you add them together to five, and then the three becomes a five. You swap that coin out for a five coin in the bank. And that means in all future rounds, you don't have the same hand of coins as everyone else. Your coins are now better. And this amps all the way up so that at the end of the game, you know, your hand of coins is, has gone from five, four, three, two, zero to like 20, 17, 15, 11, and zero. <laughs> um, and that's when the Davalier there's also some cute stuff like every time you complete a row of five dwarves of five different colours you get to recruit a hero dwarf which are the dwarves with biographies we described before including um, one of my favourite uh, rules to teach so far this year um, five of the heroes are just five brothers all with the family name Dwerg <laughs> and uh, Tom you, you, do you want to explain the Dwergs because you, you went big into the Dwerg strategy yeah there, there are five Dwergs available and one Dwerg on his own eh, not that interested in that one Dwerg but if you get all five Dwerg brothers together they're like <laughs> worth a hundred points or something yeah. and they, they literally like I joked when we were talking about it that oh they form some kind of Voltron mega dwarf they literally do <laughs> it's like in in the book it's like in the rules they combine into like a formation that's like a fist and they punch through the enemy lines oh it's it's so strange but there's mm. something innately very funny about just picking up your fourth dwerg in a game like <laughs> other players are shooting for these other heroes that all have interesting names and they all do interesting things but if you're if you want to tune out just pursue the dwerg strat just get a load of dwergs in 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 your game and if you get all five probably going to do pretty well i will say um, that like you know there's there's plenty of intelligent game design in the davalier but but i'm not sure any of it is better than um announcing you're going to recruit a dwerg and all the players going <laughs> oh you're going heavy for dwergs and you're like yeah um it's a dwerg kind of game it's a dwerg kind of game it's good it's, it's very good. good i i it is very good so um it, every part of it is satisfying and it nips along and then it's over um, because on your turn that blind bidding of deciding where you're going to assign the coins and thinking oh well Tom almost certainly wants that green dwarf because Tom's already got loads of green dwarves and they get better than what you have so but what coins did Tom have this is now uh, well I'll finish my point that I was going to say before getting into why we had a weird game of it but uh, yeah so the blind bidding is fun revealing is fun then claiming dwarves and adding them to your rows and columns and stacking all the cards uh, in longer and longer piles is fun then maybe you get to recruit a hero that's fun you upgrade a coin that's fun um, halfway through the game you check who has the most of all five colors of dwarves and everyone gets a little bonus little benefit that's fun there's an expansion for Nidavalier called Thingvalier um, and which we is can presume that's fun just from the name 
Exactly. Uh, and that adds magic items, I think. We haven't played with it. Uh, before we get onto why we had a weird game, is there any fun sides of Nidavellir that you would like to talk about? Why they are fun? I mean, this probably will, will move into why we found it weird, but I've... Quins, we played a game of Nidavellir last night, right? Yeah. In between then and now, I've played four games of Nidavellir. <laughs> <laughs> what? You're it's a beast. so quick. It's so pacey to play on Board Game Arena, and we're going to talk about that. Oh, we're going to talk about how it's weird on Board Game Arena, but it's so pacey. You can literally get through a game in about 20 minutes, and each round, so satisfying. You have the way that I'm thinking, the way that I visualize that game is like one of those um, machines that you get in like on piers, on Brighton Pier, um, where you like drop a thing from the top and it like bounces down all these little pegs and then it goes into a slot at the bottom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind like, of that like a pachinko plunk. like. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. It's like a pachinko machine where it's stacked vertically and the way that you, the way that I approach each round is I look at the top row and I'm like, well, which do you think I can get of those? And then based on that, I can then bounce down to the next row and go and then maybe I'll try and go for one of those. But then it's all complicated by everyone else's coins. It's just a lovely little dependency tree of getting each of the dwarves that you want and being able to line things up. And there's this really like lovely smart interplay between how broad and how deep your strategy is. Because literally it's visualized in front of you that you have five or five columns of dwarves, each of a different kind. And if you fill in, a, you know, the, the further you go down each individual column, the better. So you're naturally inclined to be like, well, I'm going to be the person that gets loads of warriors. That's my strategy. But then the way that you get heroes, the thing that's really going to boost a rocket you into the stratospheres of getting tons of points is by going widthways, by having one dwarf in each category. So there's this push and pull of how many of each you're going to try and go for, whether it's worth getting a dwarf that will extend an existing column or fill in an existing row so that you can get a dwarf that will then go in a column that will score you loads of points. It's so clever. It's really, really smart. It's just um, a really crisp little game that pulls you in three directions at once, right? It's exactly like you say. You want you want deep columns. You want, you want completed rows. But then also you want to upgrade your coins. And oh. anyth- there is no point in the game where you will not be doing one of those three things. But... Yeah. Uh, but deciding what you're going to do, you're sort of like constantly like redirecting the car of your of your own strategy. And the, the coins is uh, really really smart as well. And after our game, you know, you were saying that the way that you were playing it was um, you were trying to get uh, all of your coins a little bit better. That's sort of what I was doing. I was trying to get like all my coins a little bit further up. In some of the games that I've played since, everyone seems to just focus on getting one incredible game-winning coin instantly (laughs) where they'll put that down and they will win that auction no matter what um like i was sitting there with oh i've got a six and a seven and a four but there's no way that i'm gonna beat the 25 that someone has that will just win them an auction straight away and then it's um, almost like um, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Vendetta, that card game we talked about, where it's oh, like, yes. you know that your friend has one horrible card, but where did they put it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's great. And we should talk about why it's also kind of weird. Okay, yeah, so we've been playing... We do have a physical copy of Nadavalier and Thing of- Thingvalier on the way, but... Um, on board game arena um there's this really smooth implementation if you've not played board games on the website board game arena um board game arena does a lot of the uh, it, it turns board games into apps really it does all of the resolution for you it only ever asks players to do something when there's a decision to be made and the player makes that decision and then it resolves everything in the physical version of of nidavali it's very clear that like you're putting these coins face down you're turning them face up you're reaching over the table and collecting cards you want and physically arranging that card on top of 
just almost totally covering, but not totally covering the card below it. You're t throwing your coins in the game box and recovering new coins from the bank. Um, it's physical. And we've discovered over the last year that card games are something in particular that really suffers in digital implementation. And it is so true of Nadavalier because Board Game Arena makes it so easy that this, what in real life would be like a game of reaching and grasping and flipping and turning and picking up, um, just becomes like you click a mouse button and then stuff slides around the screen. And <laughs> there's no like... Uh, it's very smooth and it gets you right to the decisions very fast and it makes the game turbo quick. And yet it loses that je ne sais quoi that is the reason we're playing card games in the first place. Yeah. I, I can't wait to play this for reals because I think it'll be a, just a completely different game. And, and this is something I've been playing some um, Beyond the Sun. That's in alpha uh, on, on Board Game Arena at the moment. And playing Beyond the Sun on Board Game Arena is a, is a similar experience where you can always see the points. I think that's one of the things that is really, yes. really clear is that in Nadavala and in Beyond the Sun, having a constant ticker of how many points everyone has changes the game completely into something that is can be sort of murky and unknowable into something where you feel like you're doing really badly when you're doing badly and you feel stressed when you're doing well because you know that the lead is quite small. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, honestly, that like most Euro games and a lot of board games really just are designed so that it's basically not impossible, but way too difficult for players to like lean over and see exactly what their friends are doing mm. to count up all of their friends' resources and their score. And yet when you play games on Board Game Arena, all of that information is just made public, but the games still kind of basically work fine. You know, yeah, what, you, yeah. what, you what you lose in the sort of like mystery you gain in the game becoming faster. Um, yeah. That's, that's literally what I've got written down uh, in a little notepad here is that the game loses a lot from this implementation and completely changes the nature of the game. But it also gains a ton in being much more like brutal and savage and you're able to block people and mess with people. The interaction is perversely higher. Like it shouldn't be like that, right? It shouldn't be that you're playing it digitally and it becomes more brutal and, and the bluffing is more important and it's more cruel. But and yet it is, right? Yeah. Uh, yep, absolutely it's so strange. Um, um, so we might well have some more coverage on the Davalier in future, but I would say that if you like games like uh, Seven Wonders, um, I mean, Seven Wonders, <laughs> Nadavalier is basically Seven Wonders, except it's like 400 dwarves. That's like your, that's your comparison. Um, <laughs> or Ra, you know, I mean, Nadavalier is kind of a combination of Seven Wonders where you're slowly building up a card to blow and it's all just kind of pleasant with each card, helping you to uh, decide your strategy for future cards. But then it, it's really just very similar to Ra of players putting in bids for things and trying to deny one another things in a, in a relatively rules-like way. Um, also, I wanted to mention... Um, it falls into a similar kind of category and weight of, of card game as um, a Richard Garfield game that I have not talked about on Shut Up and Sit Down that I think is really very good called Carnival of Monsters. Um, we reviewed Richard Garfield's drafting game Bunny Kingdom on the site about 400 years ago before the start of the pandemic. Um, <laughs> but clearly Richard Garfield is on a bit of a drafting kick because Richard Garfield has put out a game called Carnival of Monsters, which I'll just mention here, as something to maybe look into if you're excited about the sound of... Uh, of Nadavalier because they're both kind of fantasy games where you collect kind of menageries of card creatures. What I really like about Carnival of Monsters that makes it relatively unique among um, drafting games is that drafting games are traditionally you're past a hand of cards and you can take what you want or what you can use and then you pass the cards on. Carnival of Monsters' main hook 
is that you have to pay for the monsters that you're trying to acquire that are being passed to you. But if you can't acquire a monster yet, you can spend a coin to take a card you're not ready for and then use it later, which means there's this whole, you get tangled up in this whole secondary economy of not just, this is my resources, this is what I can take, this is what I need, but all of that, and then also, and then here's the pile of monsters that I promised myself I would be able to fulfill <laughs> one day and paid over the odds to reserve them, and oh no, now I'm, 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 I've bitten off more than I can chew. Carnival of Monsters is a really, really solid box that I would recommend to anybody if you can find it cheap. Cool. These, these, yeah. these are both good games. These are both some good games. Carnival of Monsters. I somehow have ended up in recording this segment wanting to play Seven Wonders again, which is a very curious state of affairs and I think <laughs> speaks of the madness of the pandemic. I think you should play Nadavalir again real time on Board Game Arena against people that are like 400 ranks above you because that's what I did last night and it was hilarious. Oh, wow. Did they just dumpster you? Absolutely obliterated in that game. I don't think we I've should... ever scored lower. Wow! In any game, in you, any I, game ever, uh, it was no. the it was just the lowest score. Um, it's extra ridiculous, isn't it? On board that the devil is on board game arena because board game arena flattens everything into a web page. But actually, <laughs> I had to show you pictures of this when oh, I taught you the yeah, yeah, because yeah. the real physical version of the Davalier puts cards and coins on little racks, oh, like the cards. Good and coins that are the bank are like the the stands in a basketball game that are watching you play Nadavalier. <laughs> um, it's super cool. And uh, yeah, a game that really, I think, I'll, I'll have to play physically once everything is finished. By It'll which be... I mean the disease and not humanity. Or... or... <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Next up on our podcast, packed with positivity... We're going to talk about a game that I wish began with a P, because then that would have been a great little <laughs> combo. Uh, we're going to talk about Cascadia, a game designed by Randy Flynn with art by Beth Sobel and published by Flatout Games. It is maybe the most gentle game I have played this year. Uh, we streamed this. You would, you should be able to still watch the stream at time of recording um, and at time of the podcast going live. We streamed it. And we had a really nice time. It's one of the first streams where I said to Matt, I feel more relaxed now than I did when we started the stream, which is wow. quite a feat. Uh, so Cascadia is this really gentle tile laying game. Uh, and I'm going to try and do my best to describe it the most concise way possible because it's a game that doesn't have that much complication to it. Uh, you have at the start of the game a little region made up of three hexes and each hex has a symbol on it that shows what kind of animal it can support and it's also made up of a kind of territory like prairie or mountain or river or forest. And in the middle of the table there are four hexes with four circular animal tokens next to them. So they're little pairs of hex and circle. And on your turn you will pick one of the available combos of animals and hexagons and add them both into your territory. The hex just has to socket adjacently to something that is already there. And the token, the animal, goes on a space that can support that animal if it has a matching animal symbol. And that is pretty much the whole game in terms oh, of what you do during it. it. Uh, you will do that 20 times. So 20 times you'll pick a combo and you'll place it and then the game ends. You can also spend, you get these little nature tokens uh, in a certain way that you can use in various ways to like... Uh, wipe the slate clean of animals or to pick a token or animal pair of your choice rather than the sort of pre-assigned random pairings. Um, but that's that's a side thing. The real game is, of course, in the scoring. Because at the end of the game, you'll score for groups of territories. So your largest connected area of prairies, mountains, rivers, that will score you its size in points. Uh, 
And then you, if you have the largest of that kind of territory out of everyone around the table, you get a couple of extra points, but not too many. And then you score for your animals and they all have specific criteria. So for example, your salmon want to be in a big running river. They want to be in one big contiguous line and you'll score more points the longer you go. Elks want to be in a straight line. Bears want to be in <laughs> pairs, but separate from everyone else. Eagles want to be on their ones. And there's also another animal that I think, oh, foxes. And foxes get points for uh, how many unique animals are around them, including other foxes. And those oh, wow. scoring criteria change each game as well. There's a deck of like, maybe I think it's like four cards for each animal and you can shuffle them and have them different each time. That's the whole game. That's, that's okay. Cascadia. So this is from the publishers uh, of uh, Calico, right? Which yes. we talked about on the podcast a while back. Now, Calico is the game that is the closest to causing me to have a breakdown uh, yep. in terms of like, try. I, I, I don't know. I, my brain collided with that, um, with that, with Calico like a crash test dummy. But you're now telling me that this game, which also features hexagons, which also features players trying to place those hexagons in ways to maximize their scoring, is gentle? It's so... so- Gentle, Quinn. It's so I'm, relaxing. I'm, I'm cross-examining you now, sir. What <laughs> makes this game gentle, whereas Calico was like a migraine in a box? I mean, I'm saying that. That makes it sound worse than it is. I think Calico's really cool. Um, but it is a migraine in a box. Why is this different? I think it's because in uh, Calico, you have this fundamental... The, the fundamental puzzle of Calico is that you are striving for absolute perfection. But to get absolute perfection in that game, you need to do everything perfectly i know that sounds really obvious but it's it's true you literally need to have everything at the right place in the right time to get all the score yeah calico is like you can't make a mistake yes and if you do make a mistake feel so bad because Mm. you're cutting off a whole swathe of points you can see exactly where you've failed that's what what calico is the way that cascadia has this this hexing thing is it you it's almost completely devoid of those moments where things feel rubbish the most confrontational this game will get in player interaction is someone taking an animal before you can get to it but it's fine there are more in the bag you'll see them soon i'm sure whereas in calico you're always looking for like very particular combos of color and button or pattern sorry yeah. Uh, so you're always looking for and you might spend the whole game looking for that one pattern and never find it in Cascadia you probably will it's pretty chill don't worry about it <laughs> and alongside that the fact that each of the hexes in this game I said that they've all got a kind of territory right like prairie, mountain, river, forest wetlands they're split often between two different kinds of territory and because they're hexagons you can put them in sort of different orientations and there's always a way of solving the puzzle you've always got options and i think that's partly because whereas in calico you're boxed into a very specific grid that you're going to lay these things into in cascadia go wherever you want you know your territory sprawls outwards wherever you fancy and you're always you're giving yourself options rather than cutting them off is the way i'd like to look at it Okay, okay. Um, this sounds like a really good game to put in front of people new to board games. I'm going to show this game to my mum very wow. soon because it's lovely. It's very sweet. You, I'm going to sort of now really throw you under the bus. Before we recorded this podcast, you said that um, you weren't sure how much you'd have to say about Cascadia and you weren't sure how good it was. And yet now you're telling me you're going to put it in front of your mum. It <laughs> relaxed you. What I'm what I'm hearing sort of between the lines is that you, for all the nice things you have to say about this game, don't love this game. 
Why is that? What is, why is it, where's it failing you, Tom? Where's it letting you down? Why are you I being think, so mean? <laughs> you, you might be, you know, I think I might like, I might be ashamed of how much I like Cascadia because it doesn't have tons of juicy, crunchy decisions and more and, and rules. And it's not like a, a complicated beast of a game. It's just pretty gentle and relaxing and chill. But I think I probably needed that on Tuesday while I was putting together my Cubitos review. And yeah. it served that purpose admirably. Like, I think it is... I don't want to play it down as being a game that is, like, too basic or too simple. Because it, it isn't. There's, there are nice decisions in there. There's lovely little ways you can game the system and you can be sort of clever with your placements and stuff. But I think it is... It, fits the bill perfectly as something that's very gentle and relaxing and chill and nice and kind and well-rounded it's just i didn't want to put everyone you know it's it's definitely not a game that is going to make anyone afterwards go like whoa that was really good they're going to be like yeah. that was that was that was nice that's what they'll say afterwards that was really nice yeah. i know and what you mean really nice there's a degree to which I, I don't feel embarrassed, but when I... Because I, I love a lot of games you can play with a 52-card deck. There's something mm. really classic and straightforward and simple about those games to me that I find very, very, very soothing. But <laughs> if I was to put those games in front of people, I'm ne I'm always going to be a bit hesitant. I'm going to be like... Yes. I f this, this, the, you know, this bloody trick-taking game really taps into my soul and makes me feel... Uh, deep peace at the universe but i can't <laughs> i can't tell you that so i'm just going to present it as like this game is nice yeah, yeah. um so, but that that's nice Cas and does it look where's cascadia set in cascadia where's where's it's where, where's cascadia oh i'm gonna mess it up it's like a region of the northwest of america and a bit of canada <laughs> okay and it's like it's it's Aren't, isn't it mountains. great when board games can teach you something like... <laughs> yeah certainly I, I think ava got it wrong in the the posts that we published the, the, the this week in shut up and sit down post and got roasted for it in the comment section <laughs> um but yeah and it, it looks really nice as well the art is really lovely it's very sort of painterly and gentle that i i was gonna say sort of make a joke because i think the calico is a brilliant game but cascadia made me feel like i wanted calico to make me feel before it literally like took my brain and smeared it across the pavement calico um, is like the board game of because calico is about cats and cats well it's, it's it features cats heavily the front of the box is a cat but calico is like acquiring a cat at a rescue center and expecting it to be your best friend and then it come home and immediately just like absolutely shreds all your furniture yeah <laughs> like that that's the emotional it comes back to your house and it's calico. like smoking crack and you're like yeah. god let get rid of it no it's great i love calico as well so that is cascadia a super gentle hexagonal tile laying game uh that is the foil to calico's ruthless cats and it's got lots of lovely gentle elks and speaking of gentle elks, there's no segue there. And I'm going to just talk about... <laughs> we put some videos, some videos. on YouTube. <laughs> um, we talked about this very briefly at the, last, at the end of the last podcast before the video went live. But I was going to just drop in some words about Cubitos because I think lots of people like that review. And that was good because I was really stressed about not quite getting across how much I love Cubitos. It's a great game. It's so silly and fun and joyous and ridiculous. And it's a good time. I think it's a game that I've shown, every single person I've shown it to has gone, blimey, I enjoyed rolling those dice lots and lots. 
Yeah, it's um, that's what I would add is that the thing people really need to know about Cubitos is that you know it, when you first roll that handful of dice and then the game asks you, do you want to roll it again? Um, the design <laughs> is such that that decision is so exciting. It's like, always good when you go. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go again. It's it's a decision that's so exciting that like it almost makes other players who have decided not to roll again like look over and like <laughs> want you to succeed or want you to fail. Like it's it's such a it's such a tense decision. I guess because you're being so greedy when you decide to roll again, and the and the ramifications if you bust are so cruel. Yes, it's it's very mean. But also like it's it's tinted with a little bit of kindness in that you do get to then you get a bit of a reset if you bust. You get to sort of retune your engine almost. Um, yeah. but it does it absolutely has that thing that's very present in Quacks as well where you have a table of four people and they're all rolling dice rolling dice, you know, they're all doing the main action of the game, pulling tokens or rolling dice, and then someone is really going for it and the rest of the table has stopped and everyone starts leaning over watching that person push their luck more and more and more and then there's full they're full of delight or despair when they uh succeed or fail it's great yeah. it's a lovely lovely game but quins you know what isn't a lovely game that you've you, you covered were... recently yeah i don't know if it's how not lovely it is i don't know if it's very lovely it could be the best game ever i simply don't know tell me about stardew valley the board game the review uh, yeah, so this week on the week that this podcast was published, uh, over on the Shut Up and Sit Down YouTube channel, I published my video review of the official board game of Stardew Valley, the official video game of giving people eggs until they like you and, <laughs> th and eventually marry you. Um, yeah, this was a, um, I guess... I guess what I would tell the people listening to this podcast that might make them interested in the review is to say, on the one hand, um, Stardew Valley, the board game, uh, really made me want to play Stardew Valley, the video game. Um, <laughs> it uh, It's full of all kinds of lovely uh, nods to how the video game works. It's it's full of a ridiculous number of tiles showing little pictures of all the little things you can acquire in Stardew Valley. Mm. And so in that sense, it's a great tie-in game because you can pick up a little tile with a parsnip on and you can think, that's my parsnip now. And then you can pick up another little tile with a geode on and think, oh, this is an expensive geode. And then you can sell them or give them to people. Um, weird thing though, Stardew Valley, the video game, is maybe defined by this kind of like, you just do whatever you want. Mm. and you do whatever you want at the pace that you want and it's about it's about existing in that weird pretend universe where you can make people like you by giving them a million eggs um <laughs> but the board game says well okay we're gonna make this a cooperative board game and it does the most common co-op board game thing which is just absolutely horrifically hard objectives that you have to complete in an incredibly tight time limit <laughs> and a lot of the video review i did of stardew valley is like just exploring this very weird contradiction of we're going to make a tie-in game of one of the most soothing charming video games of recent years and we're going to make it like a military <laughs> drill where if if crows take away the last cabbage we might all fail um <laughs> Very peculiar game. Very. It's peculiar. got the aesthetics of Stardew Valley and the mechanics of Doom. Of pandemic, know. basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think a joke I might have cut from the video is that it's it's a lot closer to being a real life farmer than uh, than I think <laughs> the, the designers maybe intended or hoped for. Um, also, just to tease you, if you want to go and watch that video review, it's got a lovely scarecrow of Matt that I made with my hands, oh, and no. uh, it's it's very. Um, uh, I, I tried to make it as alarming as possible, so that, that's, <laughs> that's a little something. Um, and with that, 
we're going to announce that this podcast is going to be on a little bit of a hiatus um, for the next few weeks because we are having... A surprise second official shut up and sit down internet convention. Um, no. So, I know. What? Uh, we announced, we announced I wasn't this. I was told. Oh, no. That means company communications got bad again. Um, <laughs> so... If you are aware um, or not aware, that's more valuable. Um, Shut Up and Sit Down traditionally does a big convention in Vancouver. um, And when the world is back to normal, we hope to go back to doing those again. Um, But since we can't do those, we've been doing something called Awe Shucks, the Away Shucks, the virtual Shut Up and Sit Down convention. And that is happening on a date that Tom will insert now in post. The 23rd to the 25th of April. Oh, you didn't even do that in post. You just had that on deck. I'm very impressed. But I made it sound like it was in post so that at least it sounded better that both of us forgot rather than just you. Yeah, yeah. No, I really appreciate that. (laughs) So um, (laughs) at Away Shucks, you can look forward to Team Shut Up and Down presenting dozens and dozens and dozens of previews of really exciting upcoming games on our YouTube channel. You can look forward to three solid days of streaming panels and game shows and discussions and events that I am absolutely, I am so excited for. And also, we're going to have a a virtual expo hall where you can walk through, you can buy merchandise, you can see what publishers are up to. And we have a bustling Discord channel so that players who want to play, either just play board games with them, with other cool members of the Shut Up and Sit Down community, or people who want to... um, actually play and test some of these new upcoming games in a virtual environment uh that is also something you can do at or shuck so get it in your calendar and if you are one of the many 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 people uh, around the world right now who wish they were less bored um on that weekend we hope to be entertaining you with a celebration of board games and also hey the last the last virtual or shucks convention that we did last year um uh, we got some feedback saying basically this is how virtual board game conventions should be done Whoa, so i can't know get better I, than that you really can't well actually you can tom you can because we've this second or shucks <laughs> we've taken everything we learned from the first one to make the second one even better it's gonna be and even better we're moving the goalposts we are we're moving the goalposts uh goalposts uh, uh uh where are we moving them to in this Space. analogy we're going in space. <laughs> and we are going to put our audience in a kind of large uh, catapult and then launch them <laughs> out into space between the goalposts and into a galaxy of entertainment. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. That's why they pay me the medium-sized bucks. Um, so that's, that's all the announcement. The announcements are over. Tom, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Sanding, painting putting down various pieces of plastic to prevent uh, the floor getting covered in paint and the cat also being painted. What about you, Quinns? What, what, oh, I want to know what colour you're going to paint your new board game review chamber. Off-white. Okay, sure. Um, what am I doing for the rest of the day? Tell uh, me. I'll, 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 no shame in it, no shame in it. I'll reveal that I've got therapy. So um, as people who do therapy will know, I'm currently looking at the clock and thinking I've got 58 minutes until I have to talk about myself for an hour, which tends to take up a lot of your a lot of your headspace. Um, <laughs> yeah, funnily really, enough. It's very it's it's a very frustrating process. But, uh, but well, look at you, is, Mr. Big Man, taking care Ooh. of your brain box. Hey, my brain box is 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 not in not always in the best way. But whose brain box is? No it's shame in having year. a malfunctioning brain box. 
uh, <laughs> it is this year. It is this year. But also all years. Life's hard. Um, and thank on goodness that for note. Board games. <laughs> <laughs> ah, thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. We will see you in the soon. Yes. Goodbye. Not for the next few weeks, but we'll be back after that. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>